Welcome to the Conversations with Anna podcast. My name is Dr. Anna Stump, the Golden Ticket Professor, a self-proclaimed edutainer. I'm a former business executive turned high school teacher turned college professor. And in the past three decades of that transition, I have spent time with several generations. And with that as my foundation, I have some stories to tell. In each episode, you'll hear stories or interviews that will help you focus on your own truth. I want you to feel accepted, motivated, supported, and then I want you to be able to take what you know about yourself and your truth, go out into this big old world we live in and apply that so you can move forward with a strategy for a more authentic life. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to a conversation with Anna. It's early in the day, so much I want to do. I dedicate today to breaking rules I'm gonna stick to a strategy I'm gonna find out exactly what I'm made of Is there really something wrong with just smiling the whole day long? Today I have an unexpected guest and he's one who's been mentioned several times. So I think it's great that he could be here to give his side of the story, I guess. Um, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself simply because I've already described you several times. So uh, Kevin Stump, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, I don't know how I'm an unexpected guest when you sent me an invite to your podcast, <laughs> but I guess unexpected for the fans of your show or the listeners, whichever uh, word you use to call them. Uh, I have been married to Anna for 19 years now. It has been a wonderful experience being married to someone who is my best friend. So I don't know what else you'd like me to share about my my history. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and moved to Virginia Beach when I was nine years old. I lived there until I was 28, and we moved to... Noblesville, Indiana. So that's kind of my backstory, I guess. How much of your time in Virginia Beach and going away to college do you think shaped who you are today? Oh, my gosh. My time in Virginia Beach definitely changed, not necessarily changed, but shaped who I am because of friendships that I built. Um, that the friends that I had when I first moved there, it was like a revolving door of friends because it was a military town. And so having a friend one year and them moving because of dad's orders and then having a best friend the next year and them getting new orders and being sent somewhere else kind of made me very conscious, conscious of who my friends were or very guarded of who my friends were. And I think it made me maybe a challenge to be friends with. I don't know if that, is the right word, but it, it was, I didn't let too many people get too close because I was always feeling like, well, they're close. They'll be gone before too long. And so I think that changed maybe how I made friends or interacted with people. My mom was a stay at home mom and there wasn't much that I needed for, you know, needed done that, you know, my mom didn't do, or my dad didn't provide. So being away at college and having to do my own laundry and cook for myself and manage my time and all that 
was but you very, consciously went away away to college several hours and i think i did that because i thought that was the best way to grow up or it wasn't that i didn't like my family i loved my family but i thought getting away would force me to adapt and grow which Turned out to be a great experience, but almost too great, which is why I didn't graduate the first time I went through college. So let's talk about that. Because you, okay. <laughs> you know, I love that story. Um, not to put you on the spot, yeah. but going back to. But you will. Well, no, that's your story to tell. I'm not going to tell it. Maybe <laughs> when you're not on someday, I will. But if it's situationally okay. acceptable to tell your story. Um, but, Maybe I'll have a return. I'll return <laughs> to your podcast one day. Another, Another podcast episode. Well, it's funny to me, like we didn't meet until we were 28. And in those sappy right. moments of the first several years we were together, I would always, you know, say, don't you wish we would have met when we were younger? We'd have, long, you know, that whole thing. What has your answer always been to that? My answer to that is no, we didn't need to meet any earlier because we wouldn't have liked each other. We wouldn't have liked we wouldn't have liked who we were. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even like ourselves. Like, there's no way we would have liked right. each other. I can't even begin to imagine. I mean, we're pretty different people, but we were severely different when we were younger. Right. But I also think that, and you've mentioned, you know, finding your truth and being true to yourself and liking yourself before you can like other people. And I think until I figured out, you know, I really liked working hard and feeling a sense of accomplishment. And I'm, and I know you did the same um, when we both worked at Walmart that I think that gave me a sense of purpose and comfort with myself, which allowed me to kind of look outside of myself at that point. So if I had met you when I was, you know, 26 or so, I probably would have liked you. <laughs> you mean like a whole, a whole two years much. earlier or maybe. <laughs> yeah. Cause, because until I got into kind of the management portion of that and understanding how to delegate things and how to, you know, manage people and manage my own expectations. I don't think I would have, I don't have been as, been as open to someone else trying to not necessarily influence me, but, you know, talk to me about things I could work on or change or anything else. I had to figure that out. Right. Myself. So you um, returned home from college without a degree and lived with your parents and started working. And that's kind of, I think what you alluded to a minute ago with that sense of purpose and hard work. Um, right. And I look back over the years of having known you and even like before you became a teacher, I think the moments that you were the happiest or the most plugged in or the most proud or shining the brightest was when you were training or teaching people. When I started working at Walmart, I realized, you know, I could show other people and train other people how to do things or the most efficient way or whatever you, however you'd want to say that. And so I think teaching is similar. Um, as, as you know, I've said before, I decided that I wanted to work with people that were kids because I was working with adults that acted like kids. And so I decided, you know, why not work with kids that, you know, are supposed to act that way, not people making excuses as adults. And that started to wear on me. I think we have such a much greater tolerance and patience for them because, you know, they'll grow out of it. It's not the same. Well, with... 
Most of them will. Yep. <laughs> Most of them will grow out of it. And I really I never thought about that until a few years ago. I got that Facebook message from somebody trying to get a hold of you who wanted you to know that like in 2002 or 2003, you were training this person as a brand new Walmart employee. And now he was a store manager and he kind of attributed his whole journey and success to the way that you approached his training and had confidence in him and that kind of stuff. And I think that was a big full circle moment for me and I'm assuming it had to be for you, but um, let's talk about me for a second. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I saw a glimpse. It is conversations. With right. Anna, you know. <laughs> it's got my name in the title. So it's more about what I think. Um, but it was a moment where I was like, man, he really has been teaching. Like that's his thing. And I feel I, that had to make you feel validated that you had really done a, a good career path. Absolutely. And his name was David. His last name escapes me, um, but he was he got he was just a hardworking kid. He was from a lower middle class family, and and college wasn't an option for him. And he decided he was just gonna gonna work really hard. And he was kind of like a sponge, and just kind of took things in and and you know worked really hard and and improved. He was always asking questions that were on point and relevant to what we were talking about. And for him to to reach that level was fantastic. I mean, that was my goal when I was working at Walmart. That was, you know, hopefully it's everybody's goal, but not always. And we both live by the, the credo that, you know, you train people to take your job. That's kind of the, the point where a lot of people are fearful of, well, if I train them to take my job, they're going to take my job and I won't have one. Well, I'm hoping that that's not, you know, the end of mm-hmm. the line, you know, when we were working at Walmart, that, being a zone manager or a system manager wasn't the goal. And so same thing with being a teacher. I'm, if they want to be teachers, great, but I want them to be productive members of society. So I told the story in my episode zero, like getting to know me because part of my story is clearly part of your story. That time in the car where we were driving to Indiana and yeah. listening to three doors down and chomping on, you know, convenience store snacks. And I said, if money didn't matter, what would you want to do? And you, you really did not hesitate when you said, I want to be a teacher. Do you, do you remember, had you been thinking about that or where did that come from? Um, Honestly, I don't remember. I I remember that I didn't have to really think about it. Um, I think that I was thinking about, like you mentioned, training people at Walmart. I kind of realized maybe I had a knack for something or maybe I had a, a skill set that wasn't, you know, stocking shelves, uh, even though I enjoyed what I did and I, and I did it to the best of my ability. I think having that experience with training people and, and it seemed that I was training people to do all sorts of different things. Um, but that goes back to my liking numbers and all that kind of thing with, how the systems work and how the, and I'm very linear thinking. And if I get this done, then the next thing comes, I'm, you're shaking your head for some reason. I think you, <laughs> you've mentioned my linear thinking. I know, but I, I yes. think I hadn't really thought about it. And so for you asking me the question, I think kind of caught me off guard, but I think it, I hadn't even admitted it to myself yet because I didn't know how, how to go about doing that. But I think it's brilliant because you were able to take like, 
this kid who was in college who really wasn't tethered to anything and you were kind of just going through the motions and then the motions kind of like kicked you in one direction or kicked you in the other. But you were able to use all of that and to kind of land on something that you had to take a little extra time to figure out. And you kind of pulled that thread through like, here's what I've enjoyed about working really hard in retail has been helping other people. And I think like your dad has said it, your parents see it, people that know you, like you are literally in your element as a teacher. You are where you belong. You're, you know, capable of a ton of things, but you're really, I think, living a a real purposeful life by being in the classroom. I honestly think I have quite a few things that I could do, um, but I don't think anything would give me as much um, sense of accomplishment or kind of purpose as helping people and understanding you know, 165 different individuals and how none of the, none of them are the same. And I have to interact with each one on an individual basis, but yet have a collective Mm -hmm. goal and understand the differences among them, but still motivate. So I think if I didn't have my previous experience with Walmart or, you know, struggling in college or, you know, not being a great student in, in high school, you know, ABC, hey, that was the top three. That's, you know, good. And, and I tell my kids all the time that I wasn't a straight A student. Um, it took me a while to figure out. And it wasn't until I was, what, 30 years old when I, you and I started paying for my college that I realized I need to put my time and effort and my best effort. You know, my, my thing I tell my kids all the time is, you know, good enough no longer good enough. I need your best effort. And I, and I try to live by that. Okay. So let's go back to this little backstory. I came into your little office yesterday, you were grading essays. And I said to you, um, I am editing this podcast. I had one of my friends on as a guest. And I said, I have said the word literally so many times that I am literally going back and taking it out. And you nodded. And what did you say? I said, you say write a lot too. You did. And then you followed that up. And I said, (laughs) yeah, I know. I said, I do remember. I say that quite a bit because I'm missing that nonverbal of having someone to talk to. So I still say it to replace the fact that I can't see anybody's like reaction to things. And what did you say as noticing that? Oh, yeah. I, well, that was in your, your episode zero. Uh, I was going to little, keep little hash marks on like how many times you said it. Uh, and then I decided that I didn't want to do that, but I thought, about <laughs> okay, it. but then here's the thing, you know, is coming. And because I even stopped you right there and I said, you know what? You should just be a guest on the podcast because what was about to happen, right? Were something from a previous episode and then something from Uh-oh. another previous episode. Yeah. So you gave yourself an introduction. Right. I have referred to you on this podcast as the nicest person I know. You are by far the nicest person. Okay. You are extremely positive, supportive, and you are very conflict averse. I would agree with that. All, uh, all in agreement, yes. Okay. So you say to me, oh, I noticed how bad you said right, and I almost kept track of it, but yet you knew what was going to come next after you admitted that to me. What was I going to say to you? Why didn't I tell you? Right. 
So I'm going to yeah. ask you now. Well, it was your first attempt for one. And I can imagine I, this is my first podcast that I've ever been on. You've been on podcast many times before, but this is your first, you know, conversations with Anna podcast. It's all your own. And I thought over the, as I thought it would get better. So I wasn't going to overly critique you on the first episode. I mean, it was the first attempt that I was going to give you some time to see if it got better. And if it didn't, I would have said something, but I didn't want to, to critique you to the point where you became so conscious of it because part of your, you being you is speaking your mind and saying what you think. And I didn't want you to have to think so much about what you were saying that you weren't you, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. And it's very much you, right? It's very much like you notice this, but you don't <laughs> want to say anything. You want me to feel bad and you think, oh, she'll figure it out. And I don't know, maybe right. by episode 20, if she's still saying it every no. three words. <laughs> Okay, so wait, here's, that long. here's the fun thing, though, right? Like, you come from this family where you, you I, I'm assuming, and I make generalizations, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking maybe it's your entire upbringing, your family dynamic, maybe it's the thing with the friends, maybe, but for some reason, conflict is just not comfortable for you. And not even like, I'm not even talking about drama or real like aggressive conflict, but just any kind of disagreement doesn't sit well with you. Is that true? I, yeah. And I don't like people to be upset and I like them to, you know, be happy and not to cause them to be upset. So sometimes I guess in my mind, I think drawing attention to something that has gone wrong or whatever would make the person feel worse about it. And sometimes it's better just if we just ignored it for a little bit, maybe right. it'll get better. Which again, you um, are the nicest person I know in that regard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I would say that was, that's kind of been a constant in my life. I would say that I don't, I don't like confronting many people about anything. Right. No, no. Confrontation. Not, right. No, no. I get right. it. Yeah. That's uh, not. <laughs> yeah, I got four or five emojis I want to throw up right there. Um, but you've been in my family long enough to know we will line up in front of one another to tell each other what they've done wrong or what we perceive as wrong or what we think might be. Like, we are very open like that. And right. even if we don't want to tell you, we'll call another family member and we'll tell them and they can call and tell you. Like, we just want to make sure you know. And we say that's coming from a good place, from our heart, but... Really, right. it's we want to get our point across and get our opinion across. So knowing the two of us and how differently we have always kind of set in that, let's talk about the first few years we were together in terms of conversation, conflict, apologies was the podcast I mentioned to you several times on. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear your thoughts on those things. Like when we, because I think we were really um, cocky. When we first got together, do you remember going through premarital counseling and the priest? Why? Well, do you remember what the priest told us? Yeah, but I think it started well before that. Talking, getting to know each other, um, set us off on a good path. That we became really good friends first before we ever considered marriage. Even though it happened rather quickly, um, I think we learned more about each other in those few months than a lot of people do in years of of dating because 
of the amount of time that we got to spend just talking with each other. Well, then I moved. Um, So we had to just talk on the phone. Right. And so when we did our marital counseling in the, I really wish we still had that thing. I know whoever Um, we had to give that to still irritates me, but (laughs) the fact that we took that, that quiz marital quiz or whatever, pre pre Canaan class or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, or that was your, no, that was it. Yeah. Um, And we got like 96% of the, questions right and then one of them i remember specifically one of them that i missed i answered it it was your fault i answered it the way that you would should have honestly answered it but you didn't want to answer it honestly so you lied on your answer that and is I an- that is true i can't true. remember the exact question but okay. you answered it out of the right, you're gonna cut that us- part out no, You're out the, edit that out. I'm not going to edit it out because of the <laughs> two of us sitting here, who yeah. would approach that quiz with every question and think about how the other person would answer it before they would answer it with their own truth? Me, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and that's why when you answered it incorrectly, because I answered it the way that you should have answered it, not the way that you did answer it. But anyway, oh, we only missed like At least you're not questions. bitter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years later 20 years later and we still blew this old priest's mind because he'd never had two people score to be as compatible which i think we laughed right. about all the way home right because yeah, we get so. home and we're like you know we already knew that well right? i don't know i think we that's why i said i think we got super cocky because i think we thought look at us we're so perfect together and then we would have a disagreement or we'd have a bad day or something would go wrong. And that's when all the veneer and all the shine would kind of come off of this bobble. You know, it's like, yeah, we just, we had some real work to do. Uh, And I, we still work at it, but we were two different people just personality wise. But I think we complimented each other. Well, but I don't think sometimes we understood how to interact. Right. I think we knew how to be ourselves at that point, but I don't think we always knew how the other one would react to something. Well, and I'll be, okay. So let me give you my little um, thought process of the first few years we were together. I come from a very vocal, loud family, very open about conflict and opinions and negative. We just don't have a lot of filtering. Uh, At least some of us don't. Um, there's not my mom's a people pleaser, but other than that, everybody's just kind of out for themselves. And I'd always been very volatile and very loud and very opinionated and very rebellious in friendships or relationships or whatever it might be. Like I kind of just stood my ground. And previous relationships, I was kind of an ag- aggressive, I guess, just to get my point across. And I started to, and I think this was a lot of those years I moved around by myself. And had some time to do some self-reflection. And then there was 90s Oprah, who I credit with a lot of this self-discovery. But I realized I didn't want a marriage like that. Like, I don't want a loud marriage. I don't want to have to yell to get my point across. I don't want to have the marriage my parents had. Like, I don't want to have anything I've ever seen before. And that I knew the way I process information or the way that I kind of, I, I vent. And then the way that I would kind of like, throw out what was wrong with me, there would always be like a lot of icky blame and just examples and bringing up the pet. Like it was so toxic. 
when I look back, like it was super toxic. But I think one thing that was good is that I'd had enough time to kind of deal with that before I met you that I was very aware of the fact that I could not come at you that way. We would never have made it. Right? Right. So I went in the complete opposite direction. When things were wrong with me, what would I do? Not tell me what was wrong. I would completely shut down. You would, right? You would, you would become conflict averse. <laughs> like, well, I would just, you would, right. Well, you didn't want, you knew I was conflict averse. So I think you, instead of in some way saying, here's what's bothering me or whatever, I think you thought, if I don't tell him anything, then he'll be happy because I'm not causing a conflict that he wants to avoid anyway which made me more conscious of, I know something's wrong, but I don't, I didn't know how to go about asking you without pestering you or without right. I don't know, pestering is the right word, but you know, the communication gap was absent. Yeah. Between the, the, two of us the communication first. gap wasn't absent. The communication gap was huge in those moments. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I would kind of shut down and I think in my deep recesses of my subconscious, I was waiting for you to ask me what was wrong so I could tell you. Right. But then you would immediately pick up on it because if I'm quiet, there's probably cause for concern and I wasn't ready to tell you then because I didn't know how to say it where it wouldn't hurt your feelings. And also when I hand you something big like that, you, how do you have to fix it? Yeah, you have to fix it. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't even want to like get to the root of what where the rot is coming from or anything else. You just want to dig out the infection and like cover it up with medication and move on. Like those yeah. were not good good sides for us to be on back then. Correct. Unfortunately, this was not a common everyday occurrence. Like we did not have a ton right. of conflict, but when we did, it we really had to work on that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I had to understand, I had to start looking for and recognizing clues when something was starting to, instead of waiting for it to get big enough to be something that I started recognizing clues of conversation could be body language, could be whatever. And I had to kind of become more aware of that. And I think you had, you started to understand that giving me a little bit of uh, information or, or I think one of the, the best things we ever said to each other, uh, it was a long, long time ago was that once we've decided something is done or once we've talked about it or settled something that it's done. And if we have something to say, you know, at that moment, then we need to say it. And if we don't bring up stuff from three, four or five years ago, we have to be done with it then. And like you've always talked about, peeling the scab or ripping the scab off that it might get ugly for a short period of time. But then once that period of time is over, we moved on and we don't dredge up things because if we had something to say, we should say it in that moment, not two years later or six months later or whatever. And I think that has helped. That started as somewhat of a pattern with me because of my ability to constantly communicate and both of our desires to teach and use examples that we were pulling things from past behavior and then it would make the other people, the other person feel like they hadn't 
moved past that, right? Like that was really heavy for us sometimes. I would bring Mm -hmm. up something from two or three years ago and I could just see the devastation on your face because you would always thought like, I thought I fixed that. Or to your point earlier, like she's still hurt by that and I don't know what to do. And I thought in that, I, I think we came to that a few years into our marriage. Like now you're right. That was huge for us to be like, okay, when this is done, it's done. And we can't bring this up again. Um, so I do, I think that was a very good way for us to meet in the middle on some things. I think I had to really temper my sarcasm and my quick kind of, I wanted to say quick wit, but I don't even think you could call that wit sometimes. I'm just mean. No, it wasn't mean, but it was just your communication style is not, you don't, you're not a sugar coater. You're not a, um, you're a, here's what I think. And we need to, you know, face these things head on. It's not, you know, let me give you 1400 clues about something. It's here's what it is. Right. And I think, um, but we also realized that it, our marriage wasn't a scorecard. It wasn't like, oh, well, you did these four things. Now that I've finally done four things, we're eat like, it's not about getting even. It's about being a partner and being and growing and developing. It's not, you know, a game to win. You know, the goal is for both of us to get there. No, but, and you're, fully aware of my love language being acts of service, right? Like the most romantic thing you can do. I tell people all the time is put gas in my gas tank. And that's not a metaphor. That's like in my actual car. <laughs> when you, um, To right. me, that's like the nicest thing. But that also goes back to not tangible examples either, right? When we're having conversations or when you're doing things or when you're saying things. And I think the two of us constantly have to live with the fact that this other person in our marriage is vastly different from us. Because I'm not always worried about other people's feelings. I'm worried about the truth. I'm worried about being real. And you're the exact opposite, right? Except for the truth part. I think the truth is important. Right, but you don't lead with that. No. Your feelings are more important than the truth sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) No, for sure. And yesterday was a perfect example when you said, oh, yeah, you used that word so many times. I almost started keeping marks. And I'm thinking to myself... You got to listen to that before it went live. Why wouldn't you tell me? And I didn't ask you that because I knew I said you should just come on the podcast because I know that that for you was coming from your heart. That was not coming from sabotage. That was not coming from laziness. That was not coming from not caring. That was you coming from my wife just did this really big thing and it was made her vulnerable and it was hard for her. Why would I bring that up? She'll figure it out. Right. Well, well that right. See, right. And, <laughs> but also Put a anybody, part of your podcast is people that get to know you and understand you and that kind of thing. And, and anybody that's talked to you knows that some of these things literally and right, those are part of your normal conversation style. And if it's not, I mean, you have to think about if, if I had told you that on the first podcast, if I had said, you know, you said write a lot and you, if you had gone back and redone it and you had either edited or redone it, when people listened to that, they wouldn't have sat there and gone, she didn't say write ever in this podcast. Like they wouldn't have thought that, but they would have thought something isn't quite right with this. Well, and going back to you being a teacher, you it's far more impactful for me to get to that on my own than to have you tell me uh, to a point. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if, I, if, 
if you tell so you know if you tell somebody something that doesn't really help them until they experience it or learn it on their own so that is part of it i guess so the other podcast i talked about um because we talked about conflict was the apology like the right. good bad and the ugly of i'm sorry so when yes. you when you hear that podcast title what do you think about when you think about our marriage or our history with that i'm a sorry i'm sorry I'm one of those people. It, I wasn't named in the podcast. Oh, you know, specifically yeah, as you, far you, as like you were. Well, I mean, but as specifically <laughs> as in like, you know, this is the only reason that I'm mentioning this. You're talking about people in general. And I understand that I'm one of those people. You're but, an example. Yeah. The podcast right, is not about you. Right. Carly the, Simon. The, the, that, right. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's all about me. Right. That's what I meant by you didn't name, like it wasn't like let me tell you about my husband who says I'm sorry all that like it I was an example of it, but back to that conflict conflict aversion is I think with that fixing thing it's always um you know if something happens it's kind of my instead of saying like how can I help or what can I do I just say I'm sorry that. And, but I don't always say the rest of it. Like people always say when you're giving an apology, like if you did something bad, the three parts of the apology is saying you're sorry, explain what you did, and then tell me you won't do it again. This I'm sorry is to someone who isn't an I'm sorry person is kind of a trigger. Like, oh gosh, like here, here it is again. But it's in most cases, at least in my experience, it's not meant to be a trigger or anything. It's just, I need to, I need to be more aware that it's what can I do to help fix the situation or what has caused this? And I think like you mentioned the part about, you know, I'm not telling you, right. You know, since we've talked about the, I'm sorry, it's made me a lot more conscious of why I say it or when I say it. And if they're, if I say it, what follows it or what, if I can say something else besides it, because I think some people use that kind of as a crutch. So how, so we've done this for like maybe the last four or five years. Okay. Don't you think we've been working on that? Both of us because. Mm, Yeah. Yes. And so what has that. Still a work in progress. Oh, for sure. It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. How I interpreted. Yeah. Like that's why I did a whole podcast on it. It's always going to be a work in progress, but Here's the thing that you're this conflict avert person. You are a nice, nice, nice person. So the I'm sorry just comes out, right? Like you're just constantly Mm -hmm. sorry for things. Um, But you're also a very deliberate person. Like you, you always think about things and you're like you said, I'm linear, I'm logical and you're very deliberate. Like that's why I was shocked when I said, do you want to listen to these two podcasts that I'm referring to the conflict and the apology and all these other things because you want to process this before you come on the show. And you're like, no, which was a shock to me. Cause I thought, Oh, he's, he's flying blind. Like this is crazy talk for him. But like, how does that all resolve itself with that being such um, like a quick response to something when you're usually a very deliberate person? Was it just habitual? Was it just like part of the nice guy yeah. thing? Or you just yeah. like, you did mean it. It just, how does right, that fall? So- what you're referring to is the fact that I listen to your podcast when you publish them, not as you right. make them, because right, I, right, I right. want the finished product and I'm not sure everybody understands that. So the, I'm sorry episode of your podcast hasn't 
been published. Yes. Podcast yet. Yes. Thank and you, Mr. So... Deliberate, for <laughs> for well, studying. No, but, you're right. You're right. It's important so to know. The reason that I didn't want to listen to it first is because I wanted my reaction or my discussion or my answers or um, dialogue to be genuine. I didn't want it to, I didn't want to be like, Ooh, if, if this comes up, here's what I'm going to say. Or if, if that comes up, here's what I'm going to say. And, uh, and I'm very deliberate with many things, but I think your podcast and I think what people are going to learn about you is your podcast is a unique, genuine thing. I don't, I, it's not going to be a, you know, rehearsed or scripted thing. It's going to be a organic thing. And I was afraid that if I listened to the previous unpublished podcast before we had this conversation, that I would maybe be defensive Mm -hmm. or, you know, having not heard it, I don't know exactly um, what and all you discussing it, but I didn't want to be on guard or I didn't want to be, you know, like making a rebuttal. um, Yeah. I didn't want to feel like I was defending myself. I just wanted it to be an honest conversation. And then I'll go, once you publish it, I'll go back and listen to it. And then I'll be like, oh, I didn't need to mention this or I could have mentioned that. And But that was kind of why I didn't. Which, by the way, makes you like the nicest person in the world. And hopefully you're confident in approaching this this way because, you know, I love you. But I appreciate that. And I thought it was fantastic. And it kind of took me off guard because I thought, oh, no, he loves to have like all the information and weigh everything and make the decision. But the way you describe it and the way that it's happened, I think is brilliant. But yeah, I think we have just enough similarities, but we care about the most important things. And we we truly do love one another and we are each other's best friends. So I think that helps us find our middle. But about the time we got this marriage feeling like, I think we both had a voice and it was the right tone and everything else. Then we have a child or then we have fertility issues, but then we have a child. I'm not sure the right voice and the right tone preceded Jack. <laughs> well, we maybe not even there yet. I think we we were a lot closer, but yes. But well, we were both working it, on it. Right. But if that had yeah, I don't yeah, that's still a work in progress. Yeah, if that had I'm, happened. Holy sorry, cow. I'm not putting check boxes in any of yeah, those things, but yeah. We would be well well ahead of ourselves if that was 14 <laughs> years ago if we had figured that out. No, for sure. For sure. And we it's something we constantly work on. Right. Okay, so here is my question. If you were to meet a stranger on the street. Oh, wait a minute. Is this why I didn't listen to the previous no, podcast? No, 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 okay. no. There's, this is not a trap. Um, I'm interested in this. But if someone were to walk up you on the street and be like, what is it like being married to, to Anna? Like, what do you tell people? Hmm. That's a good question. I thought so. I might actually use Jack's explanation that Jack used however long ago, which was, it's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> which, <laughs> who, who did he use that with the other day? He, he one of my the other day. students. No, it was a college yeah. student. They said, what is it yeah. like having her for a mom? And he looked right at him and said, it's exactly the way it's you exactly think it is. And yeah. I thought, ooh, that could go a lot of different directions. <laughs> but I'm going to take that as a compliment. Okay. Um, I, if I had to describe you, just like, do they know you or they don't know you? No, maybe they've just heard. I don't know. What difference is it? I I would say, well, I would say, um, 
extremely driven in both personal and professionally. I would say very caring, very honest, and very loving and opinionated. And that's kind of, those would, that would be kind of like how I would describe you in that you, you don't have a mean bone in your body, but some people take that in such a way because they're not ready for your delivery. It's not, you don't, you're not saying things or doing things to hurt people. You're making them aware of something that maybe they're either hiding or unaware of. And it's like holding a mirror up to them and they don't like that very much. So, well, it's like a really sarcastic person who thinks they're funny holding a mirror up to them. Cause my delivery sometimes leaves a lot to be desired, but maybe, but, but if you look at the message, maybe not the delivery method, if you look at the message, it's meant to bring awareness and, and as you mentioned, truth to the conversation, it's not meant to be, hateful or hurtful. And it's not something that you just drop on someone and run away from. It's something that you bring up to them and would love to talk to them about or converse with them about, because maybe, you know, there's things that you don't know about them or they don't know about you, but some people immediately get defensive or, you know, she's mean or she's hateful, but Mm -hmm. they don't know the, um, the meaning Cause of behind what it, you're right. saying. Yeah. And so, so I don't, I think there are people that think that you're mean, but it's because they're, I think those people that think that you're mean are people that don't, maybe they don't know themselves well enough or don't want to admit certain things to themselves. Um, because you're, you don't pull punches and you're very straightforward and honest with people. And I'm not, that goes back to me where, you know, you're not afraid of hurting someone's feelings if it's for their own good or for, if it's to make them better. You know, not that you are intending to hurt their feelings, but it's not, that's not at the top of your thought process. Yeah, you know, it's, that's a good point. This is to make, this is to make that person better, not who this might, they might not like this message. And so I think that so, has a part of it. Is that what you were looking for in a wife someday when you were younger? Do you think this driven, um, outspoken? I don't know. To be honest, I I'm not sure. I knew you were as uh, straightforward initially. Um, I knew you were as driven as I. I thought our drive to be successful and our um, determination, I thought, was very, very similar. I thought we were both extremely driven in what we did and we wanted to be the best at whatever it was um, when we met. And I think that was kind of maybe the initial attraction was, holy cow, this person is as driven and hardworking as I am. So then you're like, she's got a lot of drive and she's got a good work ethic and she understands she's motivated and she's going to get that, but hey, she's got a mouth on her. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> um, there were times, but like yesterday, no, but, I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> It was interesting in that, I don't know, with you, I maybe I felt more comfortable because I, I mean, I remember numerous times where, especially professionally, I thought that I kind of gave as good as I got. So I didn't think that you were necessarily too direct because when, you know, we had disagreements professionally, 
I thought maybe I felt more comfortable professionally than I even did personally, not with our interaction, but just with myself, that if you, you know, when we were at the store or whatever, and you either doubted something or questioned something that I did, I was very quick, I think, to defend what I thought needed to happen or what why I did something. I wasn't as concerned about my own personal appearance or my own personal thing. So I think professionally, I think when you would be direct with me, I was direct right back with you. Oh, agree. Um, and, and so, but as you started that line, I thought, okay, well, honestly, if you saw me at, in retail management, manages a store of 600 people with the tense tension and stress of that, that was at my worst more than likely on most days. Cause it was just real high pressure. You right. can certainly handle me like out to dinner or later in life, right? Like that, that probably yeah. had to help a lot, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I knew that, you know, getting you away from that and not adding to your plate of, oh, here's one more issue or one more problem. I knew that that was going to at least bring some joy to your day instead of, oh, here's another issue I have to deal with or problem I have to solve or another, you know, person calling in sick or another person mm-hmm. telling me, you know, their troubles of the world or whatever. And that if, you know, we had dinner or whatever, watched a movie or whatever, it was kind of like, okay, I can just sit here and not have to worry about those things. I think that was, that was helpful. But no, I don't think, I don't think your straightforwardness bothered me. Oh, it clearly doesn't. And I love that. I appreciate it so much, especially when you're the nicest person I know and quick to apologize. Um, (laughs) Less so with me, probably, but um, and people think I'm the funny one, but I think I laugh more in our marriage with you because of you, not at you. But I think it depends on who we're with or what we're doing. Oh, that's true. To be honest, anything else like talking through all this? Get anything else? I mean, I don't mean to lead you through the conversation, but I don't know. Having not listened to the other unpublished podcasts, I didn't know what what other um, things came up that we might need to discuss. Anything? No, I, and it's not, we're not like to your point, this is not a rebuttal to these past podcasts. Right. It's just, I had recorded these podcasts and talked about, I constantly bring up the fact that you're super conflict averse and that I have had to put that on in the front of my lens when I deal with you, because if I come out of the gate, just guns blazing, you kind of tend to shut down because that's not how you're going to in, accept new information or you're not going to be in a good place. And then with the apology thing, I mean, that used to probably be, those are the three words you said the most for a good portion of our first few years of our marriage, right? Yeah. Trying to fix everything. That was what I thought my job was. I didn't think it, even if it wasn't stuff that had to do with our marriage, if it was something at work, if it was, you know, I got a rock stuck in my shoe. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't do, there were many, 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 many times that I hadn't done anything, but I felt, but I felt that I needed to fix whatever was bothering you or worrying you or, or causing you anger, discomfort, sadness or whatever, even though it was, I had nothing to do with the cause and I really had nothing to do with the solution. It was just. But did that wear on you after a while? Like, or that you'd still feel like that's your place in life is to take care of that. If you're in your truth, right? If you're an empathetic person and a nice person and you value harmony and you, and for you to be sorry that something didn't go my way at work 
and to say that, then that is a hundred percent in your truth. And, you know, I just, I mentioned this Brene Brown podcast that I had you and Jack listen, that part I had you and Jack listen to about like when somebody apologizes, just saying thank you. So there are times when you're being super empathetic, like, I'm really sorry that happened. And I should just be like, thank you. Instead of flinging back, like, why are you sorry? You weren't even there. You know, those types of things. But do you think that you're in your truth when you're apologizing? Were or are, I guess. Um, I don't notice that you apologize that much anymore, but those first few years of marriage you did. Would, do you think that was your truth? I would say most of the time, yes, because I wasn't – in my mind, the words weren't the important part of that. The important part of that was I was trying to help you or support you. And it took us a long time to get to the, the fact that it was the vocabulary, I don't think, I think not the intent that was, was bothering you. I think you understood I was trying to be supportive and helpful, but, but sometimes the, I'm sorry was just like, I've mentioned that trigger that was like, Oh, here we go again. When it was, when, if I had been, I don't know, mature enough, maybe in, in myself and our marriage that I could have given the rest of that, like, I'm sorry that that happened. How can I help fix it? Or what, is there anything that I can do? I think in my head, the that was my truth because I wanted I never want you or Jack to suffer or have you know bad days or anything they're gonna happen and so I think part of my truth is what I can do to help you recover from those or lessen them or not have them be as big yeah as big of a thing yeah so the terminology i think is probably not accurate if that makes sense because i'm not really sorry but in some not, ways it is but it is because i'm sorry that you feel that way or that that happened but i'm also my past behavior with that and that i didn't even think about until just recently um is robbing you a little bit of that by kind of making a big deal out of it or not appreciating the fact that had I taken a moment outside of myself <laughs> to say, oh, he's apologizing because he doesn't want me to hurt or he doesn't want me to have this frustration. And I think I tried to retrain you or redirect you and maybe pull you out of your truth a little bit, which again is a side effect of you being nice and you being conflict diverse right. and you being like, okay, if she needs me to say it like that, I'll say it like that as long as we don't have to talk about it anymore kind of thing. But I do think we're settling in because I honestly don't rec- I don't notice it nearly as well, much. And I also think your truth is that not that you want to suffer or have bad moments, but I think prior, you know, for 30 years of your life, those when those moments happened to you prior to meeting me, that's what made you the person that you were having to move 13 times or, you know, go to 12 different stores and have, you know, managers tell you this or, or bosses tell you that, or, or employees tell you things when that, when those things, adversity, Mm -hmm. when those things Mm -hmm. happened, you grew and developed and got stronger from going through those things. And I think even today, some of those things, not that you would, you would ever want to be hurt or discouraged or anything like that, but I think your personality and your truth is that that drives you and that gives you strength and motivation and those kind of things that unlike me, I think you kind of are fueled by some of those things where I just kind of want to avoid those things. I think in some cases you embrace those things because 
you're going to use it as fuel for the next thing or fuel to tackle the next thing or whatever it is. And so sometimes I think you don't want them fixed too quickly because you need to let them percolate so that you can figure out how it's going to make you stronger or develop or whatever. Okay. That was huge. Cause I feel every bit of that. Yes. And the other thing that dawned on me while you were talking is how hard I am to help. Oh, when, yeah. When, you're, when your mind is set on something. Well, how hard I was the first years of our marriage. I can't imagine being you and thinking acts of service is her love language, but yet she won't let anyone help her. Right. Oh, well, even, you know, cooking dinner. There's times where if I ask you, you won't let me help. If I physically go in the kitchen and like grab things and say, how can I, how can I help? Then you'll let me. But if I say, can I, you'll say no. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what, what, what can I do? Like I'm standing right next to you. What can I do? You'll give me a job. If I'm in the other room and say, can I help? You'll say no. But I, and sometimes I think in my head, I'm sure I could be doing something, but she would just as soon say no, which that's a whole nother thing, but a whole nother podcast episode, isn't it? Yeah. That would be a whole nother podcast. (laughs) You are really a saint. I just, I can't even express enough because just sitting here listening to you, I think, wow. And I hope that you feel like you've been true to yourself or you're a better version of yourself, or I haven't pulled you too far out of your truth because I'm a force. Like you said, no, I think I'm a better version of myself, but I still think I have my own identity and my own voice. It's just sometimes my voice sounds different. I think. Yeah. I that's the right no, I think it's that. a brilliant way to say it. All right. Anything else? This has been fun. It has been fun. Are you glad you did it? I am. Maybe you'll have me back on sometime when something else comes up that I'm somewhat knowledgeable about besides my own truth and I'm sorry. (laughs) But I'm telling you that I'm sorry is part of your truth. Oh, absolutely. The way that you and I have dealt with apologies in this relationship has been a real uh, experience for both of us. It's been a real journey. Um, The way we're handling with our son, like I I think every day we're learning new ways. A whole nother podcast episode is going through our fertility issues and how you handled that and kind of how we came about coming out of the other side of that. Yeah. That fertility thing. If we bring that up, the, the I'm sorry plays a big part of that. Big part (laughs) of that that story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really important story to tell. And it's definitely on my list of, podcast episode ideas because it's just it was a lot yeah so I agree. well thank you for coming on well you are welcome i look forward to listening to the other ones that i haven't listened to well yet they're not ready yet I, I know <laughs> <laughs> but i'm glad you made that disclaimer because it did sound like that i had put out things and you hadn't taken yeah, notice you you made it sound like i was you know, non-participant. I can promise you this. I know in my heart who my biggest fan and my best friend is without a doubt. So I certainly just assumed everyone else knew that, but I'm glad you set that straight. (laughs) Well, me too. All right. Well, thanks for coming in all the way from the room next door. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. I was glad to do it. All right. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Okay, what a super trooper to come on his wife's podcast. (laughs) But it was super interesting for me to listen to that because I 
I think I've gotten very comfortable with the fact that I did marry the nicest person and that I am a lot, right? That Enneagram 8, that communicator. When I look at my self-assessments and my self-awareness, I have to manage myself differently to be in a relationship with somebody like Kevin and vice versa. And it's easy to lose yourself. It's easy to resent the other person if there's not an open line of communication, especially with someone who doesn't like open lines of communication necessarily. Um, I think the one thing that has stuck out to me that I have really processed since the day we recorded this episode together is the thing about the compatibility quiz or assessment that we took during our premarital counseling. It is super evident to me, and I don't think Kevin even like realized it, how he even approached that with as much empathy and niceness and things he would never let a student do, right? Like you don't answer questions on an assessment to match somebody else or to get a certain outcome. Like you have to be honest, but he honestly, his truth is just being the best he can be for me. And I don't know if that's altogether healthy, but I do know what's healthy is the fact that I recognize that and I can I can sense that just like in that story. I listened to that and thought, okay, there's a moment. And I think knowing that you have two people who love one another and are best friends and really get they understand the other person. That's where you start with all of this. So Hopefully this would be really good um, modeling for you to have certain conversations or even maybe interview or pass some questions back and forth with one another, um, with your um, significant other or people that you um, value in your life. So hopefully this was helpful and it wasn't just me being like, oh, look, I have a podcast. Let's talk to my husband because that certainly wasn't what I was going for. So I hope that that came through. But thank you for listening to this conversation with Anna and her husband.